0: This special bonus debate episode is not only brought to you by CNBC, the good folks over at CNBC. It is also brought to you by our loyal, dedicated, and generous Patreon subscribers. If you too would like to join their ranks, visit Patreon.com/slash. I doubt it with more All right, here we are. Welcome, one and all, to this very special bonus episode, debate analysis episode of the third Republican primary debate hosted on CNBC. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, and sitting across from me, eager to go, not tired from graduate school at all, Brittany Page.
1: Here we go. Everyone should be really proud by the way that we have the regular episode up and this bonus episode on time on, time. on the same day. Yeah. We did it. We deserve a pat on the back.
0: It holy shit. I mean, I don't want a bunch of kudos because it's what we do. Right. It's our job. I'm
1: making a joke.
0: But goddamn, our job was tough.
1: It's a lot of work.
0: <laughs> anyway, Before we move on, I kind of want to give some thoughts about the debate. Yes. Kind of, we're going to start where we should finish with kind of our our takeaways. This was, of course, hosted by CNBC, which is a financial news network. And as to be expected, I guess, the the subject matter was a little dry. Maybe just for me, because I'm not a numbers nerd. I'm more everything else
1: right it was it was supposed to be all about the economy and issues regarding the economy
0: (laughs) and it was they were they were true to form they didn't cover social or um, anything else it was all economics I guess we'll just get that out of the way some of my takeaways though well first of all let's just say this I believe that Marco Rubio came out of this without a doubt, no hemi, no hine on fucking top,
1: and you said that immediately upon the debate ending, yeah, so that was before you even heard any debate analysis. Well, it's
0: a bummer for me because it's a bummer for me because my if I have a guy, if I have a horse in the race in the Republican race, it would be John Kasich
2: mm-hmm.
0: and Although I think he did okay, he did nowhere near as well as, as Marco Rubio. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go forward. We're going to talk about this. And there was a lot of talk about the questions not being fair or being rude. And uh, get over your fucking selves, Republicans.
1: Well, you're you're grown-ass men. <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah, not only are they grown-ass men and women, oh, Carly yeah, sorry. Piarina, yes. Uh, they're running for president of the United Goddamn States.
1: I know. Don't complain about, oh, that's a mean question. Right. It's just, Guess what? People are going to be mean to you. Yeah. That is what's going to happen. If
0: you can't handle a knucklehead from CNBC, a network no one watches, <laughs> how are you going to sit across the table at a peace talk with these frothing maniacs who run the countries that are involved in Middle East peace talks? I mean, come on anyway let's let's move on let's move forward let's get into this let's start with the opening statements this
3: series of debates is essentially a job interview with the american people and in any job interview you know this you get asked what's your biggest weakness so in 30 seconds, without telling us that you try too hard or that you're a perfectionist, <laughs> what is your biggest weakness and what are you doing to address it? We'll go left to right, Governor Kasich, 30 seconds.
4: Good question, but I want to tell you my great concern is that we are on the verge perhaps of picking someone who cannot do this job. I've watched to see people say that we should dismantle Medicare and Medicaid and leave our senior citizens out out in the, in the cold. I've I've heard them talk about deporting 10 or 11 um, people here from this country, out of this country, splitting families. I've heard about tax schemes that don't add up, that put our kids in, in a deeper hole than they are today. We need somebody who can lead. We need somebody who can balance budgets, cut taxes. And, Governor? you know, frankly, I did it in Washington and Ohio, and I will do it again in Washington if I'm
2: president to get this country moving again. Governor Huckabee. Did an answer. Well, John, I don't really have any weaknesses that I can think of. Um, but my wife is down here in the front, and I'm sure if you'd like to talk to her later, she can give you more than you'll ever be able to take care of. If I have a weakness is that I try to live by the rules. I try to live by the rules no matter what they are, and I was brought up that way as a kid. Play by the rules. And i tell you what a weakness is of this country. There are a lot of people who are sick and tired because Washington does not play by the same rules that the american people have to play by. Thank you,
3: governor. Governor Bush.
2: You know, I am uh, by my nature impatient and this is
5: not a uh, uh, endeavor that uh, that rewards that. You got to be patient, you got to be stick with it and all that. But also I can't fake anger. I believe this is still the most extraordinary country on the face of the earth, and it troubles me that people are rewarded for tearing down our country. It's never been that way in American politics before. I can't do it. I just don't believe that this country's days are going to be deeply, you know, going down. I think we're on the verge of the greatest time, and I want to fix the things to let people rise up.
6: Senator Rubio, thank you for that question. I would begin by saying that um, I'm not sure it's a weakness, but I do believe that I share a sense of optimism for America's future that today is eroding from too many of our people. I think there's a sense in this country today that somehow our best days are behind us, and that doesn't have to be true. Our greatest days lie ahead if we are willing to do what it takes now. If we are willing to do what it takes now, the 21st century is going to be the new American century, greater than any other era we've had in the history of this great nation. Mr. Trump. I think maybe my greatest
7: weakness is that I trust people too much and too trusting. And when they let me down, if they let me down, I never forgive. I find it very, very hard to forgive people that deceived me. So I don't know if you would call that a weakness, but my wife said,
8: let up. <laughs> Dr. Carson. Uh, probably, in terms of applying for a job of president, the weakness would be not really seeing myself in that position until hundreds of thousands of people begin to tell me that I needed to do it. I do, however, believe in uh, reagan 's eleventh commandment and will not be engaging in uh, awful things about my compatriots here, and uh, recognizing that it 's so important this election because we 're talking about America for the people versus America for the government.
3: This is Fiorina.
9: Well, gee, after the last debate, I was told that I didn't smile enough. (laughs) (laughs) Fixed it. But I also think that these are very serious times, 75% of the American people think the federal government is corrupt, I agree with them, and this big powerful corrupt bureaucracy works now only for the big, the powerful, the wealthy and the well connected, meantime Wages have stagnated for 40 years. We have more Americans out of work, or just Americans who've quit looking for work for 40 years. Ours was intended to be a citizen government. This is about more than replacing a D with an R. We need a leader who will help us take our government back. Senator Cruz,
10: I'm too agreeable, easygoing. <laughs> You know, I think my biggest weakness is exactly the opposite. I'm a fighter. I am passionate about what I believe. I've been passionate my whole life about the Constitution. And, you know, for six and a half years, we've had a gigantic party. If you want someone to grab a beer with, I may not be that guy. But if you want someone to drive you home, I will get the job done and I will get you home.
11: Governor Christie? Yeah. I don't see a lot of weakness on the stage, quite frankly, <laughs> where I see the weakness in those three people that are left on the democratic stage. You know, I see a socialist, an isolationist, and a pessimist. And for, this, for the sake of me, I can't figure out which one is which. Uh, <laughs> But I, will, but I will tell you this, the socialist says they're going to pay for everything and give you everything for free, except they don't tell you they're going to raise their taxes to 90% to do it. The isolationist is the one who wants to continue to follow a foreign policy that has fewer democracies today than when Barack Obama came into office around the world. But I know who the pessimist is. It's Hillary Clinton. And you put me on that stage against her next
12: September, she won't get within 10 miles of the White House. Take it to the bank. Senator Paul you know i left my medical practice and ran for office because i was concerned about an eighteen trillion dollar debt we borrow a million dollars a minute now on the floor of the congress the washington establishment from both parties puts forward a bill that will explode the deficit it allows president obama to borrow unlimited amounts of money i will stand firm i will spend every ounce of energy to stop it I will begin tomorrow to filibuster it, and I ask everyone in America to call Congress tomorrow and say, enough's enough, no more debt.
1: Thanks to all the candidates. So, what Ted Cruz should have said, what the perfect answer for him (laughs) would have been, is, you know, my weakness is just my complete lack of likability. Like, no matter how hard I try, I can't be funny or likable or anything. I
0: think he made a stab at that when he says he's just so easygoing, or whatever he said. It was kind of a, a... making a joke about the fact that he doesn't get along with people yeah however when you're asked the question either don't answer it or you know what i mean don't don't fuck around and give a a bullshit answer either completely disregard the 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 question and give your own answer whatever you want to say
1: like Kasich did
0: yeah right which is fine i mean whatever if you're gonna do that but don't don't feign an answer and say my weakness is that I'm just way too passionate about all the really important issues that I love. Yeah. Like, fuck you, man. But the ones that I, that I really, that stuck out to me were Bush, seemed woefully unprepared. Mm-hmm. As he does throughout this entire debate. Yeah. And that's my other takeaway here, is George Bush is done so. I don't see him continuing. I mean, he's going to stick it out because he's got the money, but unless something changes in the way he's 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 running the biz and the way he's presenting himself, he's he's likely on his way out.
1: So Nate Silver just posted an article and the title is, yeah, Jeb Bush is probably toast.
0: <laughs> I would agree. I, I you know, I like I said, unless something dramatically changes in his demeanor and his carriage, it's over for him.
1: So Bush received the worst rating out of all of the candidates and 538 released this as well. They say Bush received poor reviews for his debate performance from political commentators of all stripes, Republican, Democratic, partisan, nonpartisan reporters, data journalists, many of whom also suggested that his campaign might soon be over. Um, his average grade was a C minus according to five thirty eight. His high grade was a B from someone trying to be real nice. Yeah,
0: that's somebody on his fucking campaign. and
1: staff. his low grade was an F. Wow. And then I just quickly want to address what Chris Christie said because I try to do some fact checking throughout the show. yeah. um he said that Bernie Sanders' plan is to raise your taxes to ninety percent, yeah. Now, PolitiFact rates this pants on fire.
0: Yeah, that's the worst lie.
1: Yes, because apparently Sanders hasn't released an official tax plan, either for billionaires or for anyone else, but based on his previous statements, according to PolitiFact... The tax policies Sanders is advocating are targeted at corporations and affluent Americans. Sanders has dismissed the notion that he wants to set marginal tax rates for billionaires at 90 percent, and on the whole, his tax proposals so far do not envision raising, quote, your taxes, that is, those of ordinary Americans, to anything approaching 90 percent.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into that. There's a couple other things that were fact-checked to be true and also false, so we'll, we'll get into that. The first question, right out of the gate, was for Donald Trump asking about his his tax plan. And this is another one of those things that was labeled as rude or unseemly by the candidates. And also, obviously, this is a Republican audience. They weren't a fan of some of these questions either. I think, totally fair, here it is.
13: Mr. Trump. Yes, You've done very well in this campaign so far by promising to build a wall and make another country pay for it. Right. Send 11 million people out of the country. Cut taxes $10 trillion without increasing the deficit. Right. And make Americans better off because your greatness would replace the stupidity and incompetence of others. That's right. Let's be honest. Is this a comic book version of a presidential no, campaign? it's not a comic book.
7: And it's not a very nicely asked question, the way you say that. Uh, Larry Uh-oh. Kudlow is an example, who I have a lot of respect for, loves my tax plan. We're reducing taxes to 15%. We're bringing corporate taxes down, bringing money back in corporate.
0: That's the other thing that Trump does here, is this whole appeal to authority. Larry Kudlow, Larry Kudlow, he sits on your panel, Larry, Larry Kudlow. He constantly is referring to other people who have some semblance of reputation, rather than just relying on the merits of his plan.
1: And Larry Kudlow is an American conservative economist, television personality, on CNBC. Right. And so he's saying, look, this economist, he likes my tax plan. And it is true that Larry Kudlow has said that he believes his tax plan is spot on. Yeah. So...
7: Inversions, we have two and a half trillion dollars outside of the United States, which we want to bring back in. As far as the wall is concerned, we're going to build a wall. We're going to create a border. We're going to let people in, but they're going to come in legally. They're going to come in legally. And it's something that can be done. And I get questioned about that. They built the Great Wall of China. That's 13,000 miles. Here, we actually need 1,000 because we have natural barriers. So we need 1,000. We can do a wall. We're going to have a big, fat, beautiful door right in the middle of the wall. We're going to have people come in, but they're coming in legally. And Mexico's going to pay for the wall because mexico i love the mexican people i respect the mexican leaders but the leaders are much sharper smarter and more cunning than our leaders and just to finish people say oh how are you going to get Mexico to pay a politician other than the people on this stage. I don't want to insult so a politician. Cannot get them to pay. I can. We lose. We have a trade imbalance but with Mr. Mexico, Trump. Hold on a second, me, John. You, you, you're at 60 seconds. We're at 60 seconds. The the wall is
13: peanuts by comparison. We're at 60 seconds. But I got to ask you. You talked about your tax plan. You say that it would not increase the deficit because you'd cut taxes $10 trillion and the economy would take off like, hold on, hold on. The economy would take off like a rocket ship. Right, dynamic. I talked to economic advisors who have served presidents of both parties. They said that you have as much chance of cutting taxes that much without increasing the deficit as you would of flying away from that podium by flapping your arms really Then hard. you have to get <laughs> rid of Larry
7: Kudlow, who sits on your panel, who's a great guy, who came out the other day and said, I love Trump's tax plan.
5: John, Thank uh, you uh, John, John, hey, John listen, I'm valid. The Tax hey, Foundation just says, minute, just a look a minute, at all of our plans. And, and his creates, even with the dynamic effect, $8 trillion debt. Gentlemen,
14: we're, we're, we'll yeah. get we're back to get this in just here. a minute. No, just a minute. We're going uh, to continue I want oh, oh, to talk oh toxins. Oh, my God. We're coming it's back okay. to you in a minute. Well.
0: That is something that happened a lot during this debate. Yeah. The scrum. Mm-hmm. The everybody trying to jump in and not just go in the order of questions. Worse in this debate than I've ever seen it, just they didn't really take control. And it was chaos quite a bit.
1: Yeah, it's really unfortunate, too, because I, I think it detracted from the debate. Yeah. And, I mean, you got to keep people in line, even though it was kind of, it, it goes on to be kind of contentious. And Sometimes. And you, you'll see later on, there are some things said directly to the moderators and kind of the way that they were handling things. <laughs> and it just gets really heated.
0: Well, listen, for the most part, I think the moderators did a good job. I think for the most part, the moderators asked tough, fair questions. There were a couple places where I'm just like, eh. That didn't need to be asked. That's just a stupid question, especially because some of the questions like the moral authority question that was posed to Huckabee about Trump yeah, we will get to this, but it it didn't have anything to do with economics. What stick to the fucking content, stick to your wheelhouse CNBC, which is numbers, not the other stuff. So moving forward and in the spirit of tough questions, uh, they went on, moved on to, to Ben Carson, about his tax plan and we're not shy about bringing up the fact that he compared it to tithing.
14: Dr. Carson, let's talk about taxes. You, you have a flat tax pan, plan of 10% flat taxes, and I've looked at it, and this is something that is very appealing to a lot of voters, but I've had a really tough time trying to make the math work on this. If you were to take a 10% tax, with the numbers right now on total personal income, you're gonna come in with bringing in one and a half trillion dollars. That is less than half of what we build, bring in right now. And by the way, it's gonna leave us in a $2 trillion hole. So what analysis got you to the point where you think this will
8: work? Well, first of all, uh, I didn't say that the rate would be 10%. Uh, I used the tithing analogy. I, I
14: understand okay. that, but if, but you, the if rate, you look at the numbers, the, the you rate, probably have to get to 28 The
8: rate is going to be much closer to 15%. 15% will, still
14: you, leaves you with well, a $1.1 trillion dollar hole.
8: You also have to get rid of all the deductions and all the loopholes. You also have to do some strategic cutting uh, in several places. Remember, we have 645 Federal agencies and sub agencies. Mm-hmm. Anybody who tells me that we need every penny in every one of those is uh, in a fantasy world. So, also, we can stimulate the economy. That's going to be the real growth engine. Stimulating the economy because it's t- Tethered, tethered down you'd right now cut, with so many to,
14: regulations. You'd have to cut government by about 40% to make it work with a $1.1 $1. 1 trillion wall.
8: It's It's not true. And, and it when, is true. I looked at the when looked we, when, we, when we put all of the facts <laughs> down, you'll be able to see that it's not true. It works out very well. Dr. Carson, thank you.
0: It's awesome. She w- she acted very professionally. She challenges him and says, no, it's not true. I've looked at the numbers. And then when he says, well, that's, it is true, then she just moves on. She doesn't have to correct him again and say, no, fucker. I know I'm a number, I'm an economist, I'm, you know, smart about this, it was good.
1: So I really liked what David Firestone from Five Thirty Eight said about this. He said it's impossible for an average viewer to evaluate tax plans based on the shaky numbers and paltry information provided in a debate like this one. The moderators can try all they want to point out that these promises don't add up in the absence of massive spending cuts, but the candidates can simply say, as Carson just did, that everything will come out fine when their plans are released. <laughs> and of course, no one really reads those tax plans and no legislature tries to seriously implement them and candidates quickly skate to the next question with zero accountability.
0: Yeah. Which is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. So the next next question we're going to cover was for John Kasich and he really is continuing his fed up mantra. On our regular episode, episode 167, we talked about how John Kasich gave a speech to a pep rally, a pre-debate party, and he's kind of fucking fed up and it continued on the debate stage listen
4: i want go, to, go to hold it
13: I'm, I'm coming to you right now the well i want to comment on this well because i'm asking you about fantasy. this this I'm, is the
4: fantasy that i talked about in the beginning
13: I, i'm about to ask you about this that is you had some very strong words to say yesterday about what's happening in your party and what you're hearing from the two gentlemen we've just heard from I'm would the you, only would person- you repeat it
4: I'm the only person on this stage that actually was involved in the chief architect of balancing the federal budget. You can't do it with empty promises. You know, these plans would put us trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. I actually have a plan, I'm the only one on the stage that has a plan that would create jobs, cut taxes, balance the budget, and can get it done because I'm realistic. You just don't make promises like this. Why don't we just give a chicken in every pot while we're you know, coming, up, coming up with these fantasy tax schemes? We'll just clean it up. Where are you going to clean it up? You have to deal with entitlements. You have to be in a position to control discretionary spending. You got to be creative and imaginative. Now let me just be clear, John. I went into Ohio where we had an $8 billion hole, and now we have a $2 billion surplus. We're up 347,000 jobs. When I was in Washington, I fought to get the budget balanced. I was the architect. It was the first time we did it since man walked on the moon. We cut taxes, and we had a $5 trillion projected surplus when I left. That's hard work. Fiscal discipline, know what you're doing, creativity. This stuff is fantasy, just like getting rid of Medicare and Medicaid. You said yesterday. Come on. That's just not. You don't scare
13: senior citizens with that. It's not responsible. Well, let's just get more pointed about it. You said yesterday that you were hearing proposals that were just crazy from your colleagues. Who are you talking about?
4: Well, I mean, right here, to talk about we're just going to have a 10% tithe, and that's how we're going to fund the government. (laughs) And we're going to just fix everything with uh, waste, fraud, and abuse or that we're just going to be great, or we're going to ship 10 million Americans or 10 million people out of this country, leaving their children here in this country and dividing families. Folks, we got to wake up. We, we cannot elect somebody that doesn't know how to do the job. you got to pick somebody who has experience, somebody that has the know-how, the discipline. And I spent my entire lifetime balancing federal budgets. Growing jobs, the same in Ohio, and I will go back Governor, to Washington with my plan, Governor, and I will defend it within 100 days, and it will pass, <laughs> Mister- and we will be
0: strong again. You know, it's interesting to me that who are these, where do they find these fucking moderators? Are these just their anchors? I don't know any of them.
1: I don't know any of them either.
0: But the question was, well, you know, we heard what you said yesterday. Would you repeat it? That was the question. Would you just uh, regurgitate what you said yesterday so everybody could hear it? That's that's not a question, asshole.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: What are you doing? Anyway, I, I thought that John Kasich—I think he did well—and I think that you know a lot of the audience isn't going to like to hear the fact that I really I agree with him a lot, but there is a, some middle ground that has to be had relative to passing budgets, and I think he's on to something. A lot of tough decisions have to be made in order to do it fiscally responsibly.
1: I think he's definitely onto something because the crowd was not responding to what he said at all. Right. So if that's occurring, right.
0: you're on the right yeah, track. He's not making his Republican audience very happy.
1: You're far too reasonable there, guy. <laughs> so in this next
0: exchange, it is a Trump and Kasich back and forth after Trump, Accused or made the accus- or made the uh, the statement that Kasich was a managing board member of Lehman Brothers.
7: This is the man that was a managing general partner at Lehman Brothers when it went down the tubes and almost took every one of us with us, including Ben and myself, because I was there and I watched what happened, and Lehman Brothers started it all. He was on the board, and he was a managing general partner. And just thirdly, he was so nice. He was such a nice guy. And he said, oh, I'm never going to attack. But then his poll numbers tanked. He's got very, that's why he's on the end. And he got nasty. nasty. So you know what? You can have them.
2: Hey, let me
4: Kasich. just let me let, yeah, let me let me just let me let me respond. First of all, Ohio does have an energy industry, but we're diversified. We're one of the fastest growing states in the country. We came right. back from the dead. And you know what? It works very, very well. And secondly, when you talk about me being on the board of Lehman Brothers, I wasn't on the board of Lehman Brothers. I was a banker and I was proud of it. And I traveled the country and learned how people make jobs. We ought to have politicians who not only have government experience, but know how the CEOs and the job creators work. My state is doing great across the board. And guess what? In 2011, I've got Governor, a deal in agreement with a lot of, of and He tried to take credit for four this. years later. It's a joke.
0: Pretty good. I mean, he is fired up. He is fighting back. He's not just languishing. Hey everybody, I'm sad. My name's Jeb Bush, you know?
1: Yeah. He's definitely not acting like Jeb Bush. And I also <laughs> like that he didn't take the direct insult that donald trump gave him you know saying you dropped in the, the polls end. you're on the end and then everyone laughs you as though that that's him. the way that we want a president to be behaving right but i like that he didn't even address that and just went right to the real points the heart of the issue and addressed those points and i think he did it very well
0: yeah well in this next exchange this is a marco rubio entering they asked him a question about how many votes he is missing while running for president which i think is a valid question and this is how it got handled. And also, while you're listening, I don't want to muddle you, distract everybody from hearing what is going to be said here. But it seems to me maybe his, his Latin accent, his Cuban accent is, I don't know. While the first time I was listening, I, I thought to myself, is he. A little bit more Cuban today than last time I heard him.
1: And I did not agree with you on this point, but we'll see what the audience thinks.
0: uh, Let's hear it. This one's for Senator
3: Rubio. Uh, You've been a young man in a hurry ever since you won your first election in your 20s. You've had a big accomplishment in the Senate, an immigration bill providing a path to citizenship that conservatives in your party hate and even you don't support anymore. Now you're skipping more votes than any senator to run for president. Why not slow down, get a
6: few more things done first, or at least finish what you start? Yeah, that's an interesting question. That's exactly what the Republican establishment says, too. Why don't you wait in line? Wait for what? this country's running out of time we can't afford to have another four years like the last eight years watching this broadcast tonight are millions of people that are living paycheck to paycheck they're working as hard as they ever have everything costs more and they haven't had a raise in decades you have small businesses in america that are struggling for the first time in thirty five years we have more businesses closing than starting we have a world that's out of control and has grown dangerous and a president that is weakening our military and making our foreign policy unstable and unreliable in the eyes of our allies and our adversaries continue to grow stronger. We have a, they say there's no bipartisanship in Washington. We have a $19 trillion bipartisan debt. And it continues to grow as we borrow money from, companies that, from countries that do not like us to pay for government we cannot afford. The time to act is now. The time to turn the page is now. If we, if we don't act now, we are going to be the first generation in American history that leaves our children worse off than ourselves. So when the Sun Sentinel says
3: Rubio should resign, not rip us off, when they say Floridian sent you to Washington to
6: do a job, when they say you act like you hate your job, do you? Yeah, let me say, I, I, I read that editorial today with a great amusement. It's actually evidence of the bias that exists in the American media well, today. But do you hate your job? Let me, let me answer your question on the Sun Sentinel editorial today back in 2004 one of my predecessors to the Senate by the name of Bob Graham a Democrat ran for president missing over 30 percent of his votes I don't recall them calling for his resignation is that the story? later that year in 2004 John Kerry ran for president missing close to 60 to 70 percent of his votes this is all I don't true recall the Suns in fact the Sun Sentinel endorsed him in 2008 Barack Obama missed 60 or 70 percent of his votes and the same newspaper endorsed him again true again so this is another example of the double standard that exists in this country between the mainstream media and the conservative
1: media so many of the things that marco rubio said there were true i don't know if you could hear me yelling true as he was talking or not but in 2008 then senator barack obama missed 60 or 70 percent of his votes in 2004 john Kerry missed close to 60 to 70 percent and bob graham missed over 30 percent of his votes Those are all true, according to PolitiFact. And then Marco Rubio also said that for the first time in 35 years, we have more businesses closing than starting. That is also true. The trend started in 2008, according to PolitiFact.
0: So this really was the first time Marco Rubio was kind of forcing his way out there and showing the energy level that was going to need to be matched to keep up. Well, Jeb Bush tried to mix it up in this right after this exchange. The very next thing is Jeb Bush coming in and saying, hey, Marco Rubio, you're my senator right now, and I don't think you're doing a good job. And holy shit, holy backfire. (laughs) It did not work out for good old Jeb exclamation point.
5: John, can 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 I bring something up here? Because I'm a constituent of the senator, and I helped him, and and I expected that he would do constituent service, which means that he shows up to work. Uh, He got endorsed by the Sun-Sentinel because he was the most talented guy in the field. He's a gifted politician. But, Marco, when you signed up for this, this was a six-year term, and you should be showing up to work. I mean, literally, the Senate, what is it, like a French work week? You get, like, three days where you have to show up? You can campaign or just resign and let someone else take the job. There are a lot of people living paycheck to paycheck in Florida as well. They're looking for a senator that will fight for them each and every day.
6: I get to respond, right?
0: Awesome. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, shit, Jeb Bush has come to play ball. (laughs) Well, not
6: so much. I get to respond, right?
14: 30 seconds. 30
6: seconds. Well, it's interesting. Over the last few weeks, I've listened to Jeb as he walked around the country and said that you're modeling your campaign after John McCain, that you're going to launch a furious comeback the way he did by fighting hard in New Hampshire and places like that, carrying your own bag at the airport. You know how many votes John McCain missed when he was carrying out that furious comeback that you're now modeling it under? He wasn't my concern. no Now, Jeb, I don't I remember... Well, let me tell you, I don't remember you ever complaining about John McCain's vote record. The only reason why you're doing it now is because we're running for the same position and someone has convinced you that attacking me is going to help you. Well, I've been... Here's the bottom line. I'm not... My campaign is going to be about the future of America. It's not going to be about attacking anyone else on this stage. I will continue to have tremendous admiration and respect for Governor Bush. I'm not running against Governor Bush. I'm not running against anyone on the stage. I'm running for president because there is no way we can elect Hillary Clinton to continue the policies of Barack Obama.
0: Wow. There were two different times where Jeb Bush tries to get in there and fumbles around.
1: And shut down. And
0: fucking missed his moment. And it was only downhill from here for Jeb Bush. So, (laughs) yee. But the other thing that I want to get to here is... in between almost every question session, a weird and especially after this, there was this kind of a scrum, kind of a like a, a a feeding frenzy. Like there was blood in the water every time something like, ah, somebody got a good one in, then they would all go crazy
6: like this. And to continue the policies of procurement. Hey, I, I, I,
0: I
7: think there's a
4: John like Harwood, there's a I, bigger I, issue. Oh, no, hold on, Governor. I got questions for Governor Bush. No, we got, that, we're we're moving
13: to Governor Bush.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a disaster. It just was not well
0: handled. It wasn't well controlled at any point, really. So the next question actually is to Jeb Bush on kind of the efficacy of his campaign and it's kind of a sideways way of saying, hey, buddy, are, are you okay? Is, uh, well, uh, what's going on?
13: We're moving to Governor Bush. Governor, the fact that you're at the fifth lectern tonight shows how far your stock has fallen in this race, despite the big investment your donors have made. You noted recently, after slashing your payroll, that you had better things to do than sit around and be demonized by other people. I want no, to no, ask no, you, no,
5: what I said was, I don't believe that I would be president of the United States and have the same dysfunction that exists in Washington, D.C. now. Okay. Don't vote for me if you want to keep the gridlock in Washington, D.C., but if you want someone who has a proven, effective leadership, that was a governor of a state that transformed the culture there, elect me so I can fight for the American people and change the culture in but Washington, it's a, D.C. Okay,
13: it's a, it's a question about why you're having difficulties. And I want to ask you in this context, Ben Bernanke, who was appointed Fed Chairman by your brother, recently wrote a book in which he said he no longer considers himself a Republican because the Republican Party has given in to know-nothingism. Is that why you're having a difficult time in this race?
5: The great majority of Republicans and Americans believe in a hopeful future. They don't believe in building walls and a pessimistic view of the future. They're concerned that Washington is so dysfunctional it is holding them back. There are lids on people's aspirations. Think about it. Six and a half million people working part time, workforce participation rates lower than they were in 1977, six million more people living in poverty than the day that Barack Obama got elected president. And the left just wants more of the same. We have to offer a compelling alternative that is based on hope and optimism and grounded in serious policy, which I've laid out. And you can go get it at jeb2016. Thank you, Governor.
0: Meh. He, he's just not inspiring you know?
1: Yeah, he definitely, I mean, he just seemed very lackluster. There wasn't a whole lot going on. He didn't seem very passionate or motivated. I mean, compare how he was speaking to how Marco Rubio was speaking, and there's just a night and day difference. And you can see that with how people perceived them and how these results came out after the debate.
0: He's definitely not impassioned. Really, I I think he he should drop the fuck out and steer some of that massive you know, coffers, those that pack money, to someone else who could who could, you know, more effectively use it.
1: Also, that would be great because that would free up more room on the stage, less room for barking at each other. Right.
0: Well and then this is this is a, a, a one of my favorite moments and it's so short and so funny, is right after the question, this happened. Doc Thank you, Tom. Governor. It's John I'll John John. respond to that John John Doc god 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 thank you governor john McKay that respond
3: to that listen
0: it reminds me of those birds in uh in finding nemo
1: oh yeah thank you governor john gone that now respond to
0: that listen
1: that is spot on
0: Uh,
1: really right that (laughs) is perfect
0: (laughs) all right well next is carly fiorina and she was asked tough very pointed questions about her record at hewlett packard
14: Ms. Fiorina, I'd like to ask you a question. You are running for president of the United States because of your record-running Hewlett-Packard. But the stock market is usually a fair indicator of the performance of a CEO, and the market was not kind to you. Um, Someone who invested a dollar in your company the day you took office had lost half of that dollar by the day you left. Obviously, you've talked in the past about what a difficult time it was for technology companies, but anybody who was following the market knows that your stock was a much worse performer if you looked at your competitors, if you looked at the overall market. I just wonder, in terms of all of that, you know,
9: if we look back, your board fired you. I just wondered why you think we should hire you now. You know, the NASDAQ dropped 80 percent. and it took 15 years from the NASDAQ to recover. I was recruited to HP to save a company. It was a company that had grown into a bloated, inept bureaucracy that cost too much and delivered too little to customers and shareholders. It had missed, before I arrived, expectations for nine quarters in a row. As an outsider, I tackled HP's entrenched problems head-on. I cut the bureaucracy down to size, reintroduced accountability focused on service, on innovation, on leading in every market and every product segment. And yes, it was a very difficult time. However, we saved 80,000 jobs. We went on to grow to 160,000 jobs. And scores of technology companies that literally went out of business like Gateway, taking all their jobs with them. The truth is, I had to make some tough calls in some tough times. I think actually people are looking for that in Washington now. And yes, I was fired over a disagreement in the boardroom. There are politics in the boardroom as well and yet the man who led my firing Tom Perkins an icon of Silicon Valley has come out publicly and said you know what we were wrong she was right she was a great CEO she'd be a great president of the United States because the leadership she brought to HP is exactly the leadership we need in Washington DC.
14: Mrs. Fiorina it's interesting that you bring up Mr. Perkins because he said a lot of very questionable things last year in an interview he said that he thinks wealthy people should get more votes than poor people I think his quote was that if If you pay zero dollars in taxes, you should get zero votes. If you pay a million dollars, you should get a million votes. Is this the type of person you want to
9: defend? Well, this is one of the reasons why Tom Perkins and I had disagreements in the boardroom, Becky. (laughs) Nevertheless, one of the things that I think people don't always understand is how accountable a CEO actually is. So you know, I had to report results every 90 days in excruciating detail. I had to answer every single question about every single result and every single projection in public until there were no more questions. And if I misrepresented those results or those projections in any way, I was held criminally liable. Imagine. Imagine if a politician were held to that standard of account. I will run on my record all day long. And I believe people need a leader who is prepared to make tough calls in tough times and stand up and be held accountable. Thank you. We're out of time. Thank you, Mrs. Fiorina.
0: That's the other thing she did is fill a fucking buster the entire night. Every time she was able to shoehorn her way in there, she would just monopolize the time and bogart every single second that was that was over three minutes
1: she had the most talking time probably for that question right there
0: that is bizarre because she wasn't asked all the the most questions
1: no in fact she was one of the candidates that was asked the fewest questions she was asked four questions
0: you have the numbers
1: She was one of the candidates who was asked the fewest amount of questions. There were, I think, three people that were tied with four questions, and she was one of them. Yet, she spent the most time talking with 10 minutes and 31 seconds. Wow.
0: That is, you know, well, she also didn't perform well, so there's no use wasting a whole bunch of time on her. Moving on. Ted Cruz was asked about the debt limit, and this is where he may have scored some points with a Republican audience, but it really points to his unelectability. He was asked a specific question about the debt limit. He did not answer. This is a two-minute and nineteen second uh, exchange. He doesn't answer. The the moderator tries to move on to the next to the next question to the next candidate. And Ted Cruz is like, Well, I can answer. Because the moderator says, Look, for the record, the question wasn't answered. Okay, moving on. And he's like, well, I'll answer, I'll answer, I'll answer. And the moderator's like, hey, man, look, you fucking wasted your time saying all kinds of other bullshit. I'm not going to give you now more time to answer the question. He's just not playing by the rules, which should be some kind of an indicator as to what kind of president he would be. Uh, Senator
3: Cruz, Congressional Republicans, Democrats and the White House are about to strike a compromise that would raise the debt limit, prevent a government shutdown and calm financial markets that fear of another Washington-created crisis is on the way. Does your opposition to it show that you're not the kind of problem solver American voters want?
10: You know, let me say something at the outset. The questions that have been asked so far in this debate illustrate why the American people don't trust the media. This is not a cage match, and you look at the questions, Donald Trump, are you a comic book villain? Ben Carson, can you do math? John Kasich, will you insult two people over here? Marco Rubio, why don't you resign? Jeb Bush, why have your numbers fallen? How about talking about the substantive issues people Does- Does care this- about? Get- not finished yet. The contrast with the Democratic debate where every fawning question from the media was, which of you is more handsome I- and wise?
3: <laughs> so this is a question me be about clear, the debt th- limit, which you, you have 30 seconds left to answer, should you choose to do so.
10: <coughs> let me be clear. The men and women on this stage have more ideas, more experience, more common sense than every participant in the democratic debate. That debate reflected a debate between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. (laughs) And nobody Watching at home believes that any of the moderators has any intention of voting in a Republican primary. The questions that are being asked shouldn't be trying to get people to tear into each other. It should be what are your substantive okay, solutions okay. to people who are hurting I just want the record to reflect. I asked guys, you about the dead limit and on. I got no answer. Uh, okay,
3: all right. You, you want to answer, want answer, question? answer that question? No. I'm happy to answer I mean, the question. You I'm happy to answer the question, time. but let me Senator, tell
10: you how the we're question on. is. Let me tell you how that we're question is. Let me tell you, on. On. Me tell you how that. Senator Kwal, I've got a question for you. So you don't actually want
13: to the answer, John? Senator Paul? You, you don't want to hear the hey, answer. You John, just John, want to hear the insult. You used your time on something else. So, so, Senator so, Paul? So
10: you're not interested in
0: an answer, John? To a, to I'm a interested deal. in an answer My from Senator is Paul. Paul. Isn't that just... god Goddamn.
1: Yeah, here's the odd thing is people are saying that this is going to play really well with Republicans who hate the, you know, Sarah Palin lamestream media. Right. And he's going after the mainstream media. And you you heard that audience. I mean, they just loved that. They were right. eating it up. Oh, of course. But to me, my perception is that it was very disrespectful, very arrogant. Yeah,
0: he's not looking for your vote, though. You know what I mean? He's not looking for my vote. He's looking for that right wing nutter butter. Well, and the other thing is that he's he doesn't have a chance. He doesn't not only not have a chance at the presidency, he doesn't even have a chance at the vice presidency, and he doesn't even have a chance at a cabinet position.
1: Well, five thirty-eight is saying that along with Rubio, they are expecting Ted Cruz to have a surge in the polls after this.
0: Hmm. Maybe. I, I don't I don't deny that. I think that might happen. But it's not going to be a sustained surge enough to give him. It's a, it's a reprieve is what it is. You know what I mean? It's a little clemency on his execution. <laughs> That's all it is. A delay. So again,
11: to people, my I just
3: want the record to reflect, guys, I asked you about the dead limit and on. I got no answer. I, okay, all right. You want to answer, you answer that question?
6: No. I'm happy I, to answer the question, I'm happy your to answer our no, question no, but let me Senator, tell you how the question on. is. Let
10: me <laughs> tell you how that we're question is. On. On. Let me tell, on. tell you how that Senator Paul, I've got a question for you So you don't actually want to hear the answer, John?
13: Senator Paul. You don't want to hear the answer, you just want to the insult. You used your time on something else. Senator Paul. You're not interested in an answer. John. I'm interested in an answer from Senator Paul. Senator Paul, the budget deal crafted by Speaker Boehner.
0: He was interested in an answer when he asked the question the fucking first time.
1: Right. When you had the opportunity to answer the question and didn't.
0: And you took almost, you know, two and a half minutes of bullshitting about how much experience and how much substance there is to answer real questions. Except you didn't answer the real question that was asked of you. Ugh. All right, well, next, Trump is asked a very pointed question about his specific bankruptcies in Atlantic City, and it's nice because these financial people, they know their shit, so it's harder to skirt and move around, although they didn't hold his feet to the fire like I really wish they would have, they, they definitely asked the tough question.
14: Uh, Mr. Trump, let's talk a little bit uh, about bankruptcies. Your Atlantic City casinos filed for bankruptcies four times. In fact, Fitch, the ratings agency, even said that they were serial filers for all of this. You said that you did great with Atlantic City, and you did, but some of the individuals, the bondholders, some of the contractors who worked for you didn't fare so well. Um, bankruptcy is a broken promise. Why should the voters believe or, the promises that you're telling them right now?
7: Well, first of all, like many other very big businessmen, I could name them here, but I'm not- going to do that for a lot of obvious reasons but the biggest and almost all of them they've all used the chapter laws the bankruptcy laws to their own benefit Before this I was a very successful person as a as a developer and as a businessman uh, Atlantic City has gone bad I mean Chris will know about that I'm not blaming Chris by the way but he will know about that <laughs> Caesars excuse me Caesars the Rolls-royce as you know, is in bankruptcy. Almost every hotel in Atlantic City has either been in bankruptcy or will be in bankruptcy, the biggest. But also the biggest people. Now, I've used that to my advantage as a businessman, from my family, from myself. I never filed for bankruptcy, but many, many people did. What happened with Atlantic City is very, very disgraceful. Now, hundreds of companies I've opened, I've used it three times, maybe four times. Came out great, but I guess I'm supposed to come out great. That's what I could do for the country. We owe $19 trillion. Boy, am I good at solving debt problems. Nobody can solve it like me. But I will tell you this, Atlantic City, you're using that. Hundreds of companies that I've opened have thrived. I built a net worth of way over $10 billion, and I've done it four times out of hundreds. And I'm glad I did it. I used the laws of the country to my benefit. I'm sorry.
14: Mr. Trump, thank you.
0: Thank you. Boy, am I good at solving debt problems. His his definition of good at solving debt problems is just to wipe his hands off and walk away, leaving people he owes money, he just walks away from them, leaving them holding the bag. Right. Leaving them holding IOUs. I mean... If that's good at, boy, I will handle the, the, the United States debt. I'll handle it real good. That's not an option. We don't want to end up like Greece on the verge, on the brink of bankruptcy.
1: We do not.
0: <laughs> Next is uh, Marco Rubio asked about his personal finances, about his personal use of money. And if he's so bad with money, why would he be so good at leading the United States financially.
1: For a little background on this, all of the candidates, I, I don't know all, I think most are millionaires. Mm-hmm. And he has a net worth apparently of $100,000. Yeah. So... Kind
0: of a... Him and, and Scott Walker were the broke dicks of the group. The poor guys. hmm <laughs> So here it is.
14: Senator Rubio, you yourself have said that um, you've had issues. You have a lack of bookkeeping skills. You accidentally intermingled campaign money with your personal money. You faced foreclosure on a second home that you bought. And just last year, you liquidated a $68,000 retirement fund. That's something that cost you thousands of dollars in taxes and penalties. In terms of all of that, it raises the question whether you have the maturity and the wisdom to leave a $17 trillion economy. What do you say?
6: Well, you you just listed a litany of uh, discredited attacks from Democrats and my political opponents, and I'm not going to waste 60 seconds detailing them all, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's the truth. I didn't inherit any money. My dad was a bartender, my mother was a maid, they worked hard to provide us the chance at a better life. They didn't save enough money for us to go to school, I had to work my way through school, I had to borrow money to go to school. Trying early in my marriage, explaining to my wife why someone named Sally May was taking a thousand dollars out of our bank account every month. I know what it's like to owe that money, and we've worked hard. We've worked hard our whole life to provide a better family, a better life for our family. We own a home four blocks away from the place that I grew up in. My four children have been able to receive a good Christian education, and I've been able to save for them to go to college so they never have to have the loans that I did. But I'm not worried about my finances. I'm worried about the finances of everyday Americans who today are struggling in an economy that is not producing good paying jobs while everything else costs more. And that's what this economy needs to be. That's what this debate needs to be about. This debate needs to be about the men and women across this country that are struggling on a daily basis to provide for their families the better future that we've always said this country's all about. Unrattled,
0: he answered the question. Mm -hmm. She not satisfied re-asks the question and he re-answers that we've always said
6: this country's all about.
14: Senator, I understand all of that. I had a lot of student loans when I got out too, but you've had a windfall that a lot of Americans haven't. You made over a million dollars on a book deal and some of these problems came out. And I
6: use that. it to pay off my loans and it's available yes, on paperback if you you're ho- interested in buying it. <laughs>
14: After the fact, and and that cost you about twenty-four thousand dollars out of that in taxes and fees. That that was after you'd already come into that windfall. That's why I raised the question.
6: Yeah. Again, as I said, we're raising a family in the 21st century, and it's one of the reasons why my tax plan is a pro-family tax plan. It increases the per-child tax credit Mm -hmm. because I didn't read about this in a book. I know for a fact how difficult it is to raise children, how expensive it's become for working families, and I make a lot more than the average American. Imagine how hard it is for these people out there that are making forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year and they're trying to provide for their families at a time when this economy is not growing. We can't afford another four years of that, which is what we're going to get if we elect a big government liberal like Hillary Clinton to the White House.
14: Thank you, Senator.
0: So I think he did very well there. I mean, whether you like his answer or not, that's that's not the question. It's for the Republican audience, he did very well. He really he 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 started flying as soon as the debate started. He didn't uh, touch back down onto the ground until, shit, who knows? I mean, he's he did very well.
1: He's not easily rattled because those are very personal things that she's bringing up. I mean, yeah. his monetary difficulties and these mistakes, I guess, that he's made.
0: He also didn't get whiny about it. Like, well, you shouldn't be asking me that. Right. He just, he he just, just eloquently
1: responded.
0: Right. And I think... Her going after the paying taxes that he maybe shouldn't have like it. Well, maybe it wasn't so wise that you cashed that out. That's a personal choice for his family. And he yeah, it, it, I don't know that it's really germane.
1: I, I did you, find it kind of odd. If
0: you really want to get down to the minutiae of it, and like, well, was it the most responsible thing you could have done? I guess. But I don't know that it's really the the caliber of question that you should be asking A guy who's running to be the president of the United States. I just don't know that it's really relevant. So up next is John Kasich again. Asked about corporate welfare and specifically the import-export bank. And like I said, (laughs) some of this stuff is super dry.
13: Governor Kasich, uh, you've called for abolishing the Export-Import Bank, which provides subsidies to help American companies compete with overseas competitors. You call that corporate welfare. One of the largest newspapers in your state uh, wrote an editorial, said they found that strange, writing that if that's corporate welfare, what does Kasich call the millions of dollars in financial incentives doled out to attract or retain jobs by his development effort, Jobs Ohio? If subsidies are good enough for Ohio companies, why aren't they good enough for companies trying to compete overseas? Well, first of all, when we talk about the import-export bank, it's time to
4: clean up corporate welfare. If we're going to reform welfare for poor people, we ought to reform it for rich people as well. Secondly, in our state, we went from a loss of 350,000 jobs to now a gain of 347,000 jobs to the positive. Our wages are growing faster than the national average. And I've cut taxes more than any sitting governor in this state, $5 billion, including no taxes on small business and killing the death tax. Now, I wanna go back to what we were talking about earlier, this budget deal in Washington. This is the same old stuff once since I left. You spend the money today and then you hope you're gonna save money tomorrow. I don't know if people understand, But I spent a lifetime with my colleagues getting us to a federal balanced budget. We actually did it. And I have a roadmap and a plan right now to get us to balance. Reforming entitlements, cutting taxes. You see, because if you really want to get to a balanced budget, you need to reduce your expenses and you need to grow your economy. So what I will tell you about our incentives, our incentives are tight. And at the end of the day, we make sure that we gain more from the creation of jobs than what we lose. And you know what? Ohio, one of the best growing places in the country, I not only did it in Washington, I did it in Ohio, and I'll go back to Washington again, and there'll be no more of these silly deals if I become president, because we'll have a constitutional amendment to require a federally balanced
11: budget so they will do their job.
1: So five thirty eight posted an article about how to evaluate the economic records of governors who want to be president. Yeah. So they said voters, however, would be wise to view all these candidates' claims with skepticism. According to most experts, a governor's power to influence his state's economy is limited at best, especially in the short term. Governors don't decide where oil will be discovered, whether a local company will have a big IPO or whether a major employer will close up shop. Most importantly, they don't control national economic. Conditions which can dwarf the effects of decisions made at the state level. Yeah, for sure. Still, governors certainly have more influence over their state's economies than individual senators or business executives, so don't ignore their records entirely. Just put their claims in the appropriate context. And one thing that they note, which I didn't know, and maybe it's just because I'm a dumb person, (laughs) but they say governors love to brag about how they balanced their state budgets. 538 says they're counting on voters not realizing that, unlike the federal government, virtually all states are required, either by law or by their constitutions, to have balanced budgets.
0: Yeah. Well, we don't know, though, in the case of Ohio. We have some listeners in Ohio. They should sound off, or I could just maybe Google it. (laughs) But uh, the one thing that being a governor does offer is experience in the executive position of running an organization when you're a legislator when you're a senator or a congressman you don't run shit you have an office you have a staff and you go vote on legislation and you write legislation you're not the executive of anything so being a governor does give that level of experience especially of a big state and a diverse state
1: well, and John Kasich says, I took the state of Ohio from an $8 hole to a $2 billion surplus. And remember, that was rated as mostly true by yeah, PolitiFact.
0: Right. So next up is really was good. Ben Carson was asked about his his uh, affiliation with certain companies. He's on the board, apparently, of Costco, which was rated as one of the most gay-friendly companies. And then they also delve into his involvement with a company called Manatech. Dr. Carson, we
3: know you as a physician, but we wanted to ask you about your involvement on some corporate boards, including Costco's. Last year, a marketing study called the warehouse retailer the number one gay-friendly brand in America, partly because of its domestic partner benefits. Why would you serve on a company whose policies seem to run counter to your views on homosexuality?
8: Well, obviously, you don't understand my views on homosexuality. Uh, I believe that our Constitution protects everybody, regardless of their sexual orientation or any other aspect. I also believe that marriage is between one man and one woman.
0: Uh, Wait, what? You believe, (laughs) Dr. Carson, you believe that the Constitution protects all people, whether they be gay or straight, Except for the gays who want to get married. Yeah. Equal protection under this constitution of which you speak doesn't extend to the homos where it relates to marriage.
1: That would be what he's saying.
0: Ugh, just fucking
8: clown car. And uh, there is no reason that you can't uh, be perfectly fair. To the gay community they shouldn 't automatically assume that because you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, that you are a homophobe, and this is one of the myths uh. <laughs>
1: I don't think anyone is assuming that he's a homophobe because he believes that. But when someone says marriage is between a man and a woman, they automatically think, oh, you have discriminatory attitudes towards homosexuals. Right, And that would be correct. The
0: the other thing is, is saying that I don't believe or I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I think it's it's okay to have that opinion. But to say, because I believe it, I think it should be the law of the land, that's where we have a fucking problem, and that is his opinion. It's he believes gays should be precluded from marriage like other people, and he also believes it should be the law of the land.
8: That the left perpetrates on our society, and this is how they frighten people and get people to shut up. You know that's what the pc culture is all about and it's destroying this nation and the fact of the matter is we the american people are not each other's enemies it's those people who are trying to divide us who are the enemies and we need to make that very clear to everybody
3: one more question this is a company called manatech a maker of nutritional supplements with which you had a 10-year relationship they offered Claims that they could cure autism, cancer. They paid $7 million to settle a deceptive marketing lawsuit in Texas, and yet your involvement continued. Why?
8: Well, that's easy to answer. I didn't have an involvement with them. That is total propaganda. And this is what happens in our society, total propaganda. I did a couple of speeches for them. I did speeches for other people. They were paid speeches. It is absolutely absurd to say that I had any kind of a relationship with them. Do I take the product? Yes. I, I think it's a good product. Uh, to be fair, you were on the home page of their website with the logo over your shoulder. If somebody put me on their home page, did it without my permission does that not speak to your vetting process or judgment in any way no it speaks to the fact that i don't know those (laughs) they know
1: (laughs) (laughs) it is completely insane completely insane that the audience reacted like that because i think i had the strongest reaction to this statement that he made Right. Out of the entire debate, I think this was my strongest reaction because there is no way that Dr. Ben Carson would be used on a website with a logo behind him without his permission. And on, if that were the case... On their
0: homepage.
1: If that were the case, why isn't he immediately like leaving that debate and making phone calls like, wait a minute, you're using my likeness without my right. authorization? We We have a problem here. Right. And instead, he lies... And the audience boos and is immediately on his side. And how lucky for him that that happened. And he just says, oh, yeah, they know. They well, know that I'm lying, but it's fine.
0: There's two things here that bother me. Well, there's a lot more than that. But two two things specifically I'm going to talk about. One is that he has any affiliation whatsoever to a company that is making cure claims about fucking autism and cancer. This Manatech company... They they traffic in this essential oils business which is snake oil. It is con artist central. And also his statements have been verified or measured by Politifact and what did they have to say?
1: False. So Carson said I didn't have In involvement With the nutritional Supplement company Manatech And PolitiFact says As far as we can tell Carson was not A paid employee Or official endorser Of the product However His claim suggests He has no ties To Manatech whatsoever In reality He got paid To deliver speeches To Manatech And appeared in Promotional videos And he consistently Delivered glowing reviews Of the nutritional supplements As he did at the debate Right During
0: the fucking debate
1: As a world-renowned Carson's opinions on health issues carry weight and Manatech has used Carson's endorsements to its advantage.
0: It's the doctor Oz effect. He is a well-respected surgeon and his opinion matters to millions of people. So for him to irresponsibly endorse products that that, that have cure claims is it's not just irresponsible Uh, It is unethical, it's immoral, and I think it borders on criminality. I'm not a lawyer, I'm just an idiot, but goddamn. Well, next up, our next lie of the night is from Donald Trump when asked specifically about a quote he made about Zuckerberg involving Rubio. Now, before I play the clip, I kind of want to lay it out. We're going to tell you the end game because a few clips later, well, here's what happens. She asked the question, Trump just flat out denies it. No, that's not true. That is not true. And she's like, well, where did I read this? I don't. Where did they find these people? She asks Trump, well, then where did I read it? He goes, well, I don't fucking know. And then she has to move on. Well, a few questions later, after she had time to do the work she should have done in the first place, she found out the answer. But here it is. But go into this knowing that Trump is lying the entire time.
14: Mr. Trump, let's stay on this issue of immigration. Um, you have been very critical of Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, who has wanted to increase the number of these I not, H-1B? I was
7: not at all critical of him. I was not at all. In fact, frankly, he's complaining about the fact that we're losing some of the most talented people. They go to Harvard, they go to Yale, they go to Princeton, they come from another country and they're immediately sent out. Mm-hmm. I am all in favor of keeping these talented people here so they can go to work in Silicon Valley. So you're so in favor of increasing I am not at all critical of him. Where did I
14: read this and come up with this, that you were... Probably,
7: I don't know, you, you people write this stuff, I don't know where you <laughs> I don't write like this
14: stuff. Let's just be clear. Let's talk and, and, you and know, if about I about say And if I
7: could yeah. say just one thing. Yeah. I am the only person in either campaign that's self-funding. I'm putting up 100% of my own money. And right now, I will be putting up a tremendous... So far, I put up less than anybody, and I have the best results. Wouldn't that be nice if the country could do that? But I will be putting... I will be putting up, you know, tremendous amounts of money. Super PACs are a disaster, they're a scam, they cause dishonesty, and you better get rid of them, because they are causing a lot of bad decisions to be made by some very good people, and I'm not blaming these folks, but I guess I could. (laughs) Very good people are making very bad decisions right now. And if anything comes out of this whole thing with some of these nasty and ridiculous questions, I will tell you, you better get rid of the super PACs because they're causing a big problem with this country. Not only in dishonesty and what's going on, but also in a lot of bad decisions that are being made for the benefit of lobbyists and special interests.
0: So, well, one, we can address right away his claim that he is completely 100% self-funding.
1: So factcheck.org rates that as false. Trump saying that his campaign is one hundred percent self-financed, they say false.
0: They also, I don't know what they say because you have the article and I'm not the. Uh... <laughs> That's not my job. Uh, that once the the nomination happens and he's hoping to get the nomination, then he's going to rely upon the GOP to kick in the party mechanism to kick in and start paying for the for the campaign. So. Anyway, this moderator, where do they get these people? Uh, The idiocy kind of continues
7: and special interests. Becky. You,
9: you, know Mr. you know, Mr. Trump, just, if, if, just I, may, if I, I may just say, just, say just a minute, just a minute. You been been, right. let, been, let
14: me follow up on this you just a You had talked a little bit about uh, Marco Rubio. Rubio. I think you called him Mark Zuckerberg's personal senator because he was in favor of the H-1B. I never it. said He's, that. I never said that. So this that. was a, an erroneous article
7: the whole way He's around? He's got another gentleman in Florida who happens to be a very nice guy, but not... My apologies. I'm sorry. I He's really doing some bad facts. Since I've been mentioned, can I respond? Yes, you Okay.
0: So she presses, not knowing the story, she presses him. What did she expect? What outcome did she think was she think he's going to lay down?
1: Especially with Donald Trump, Jesus right?
0: Jesus Christ. Just fucking mess.
6: Anyway, Marco Rubio, he took control. You now, the Democrats have the ultimate super It's called the mainstream media. Whoever's seen the day.
8: And I'll
6: tell you why last week. Again,
0: you might not agree with what he's saying. I don't agree with what he's saying. But he took masterful control knowing his audience.
6: Hillary Clinton went before a committee... She admitted she had sent emails to her family saying, hey, this attack in Benghazi was caused by al-Qaeda-like elements. She spent over a week telling the families of those victims and the American people that it was because of a video. And yet the mainstream media is going around saying it was the greatest week in Hillary Clinton's campaign. It was the week she got exposed as a liar. It was the week that she got exposed as a liar But she has her super PAC helping her out, the American mainstream media.
0: So next up is what I talked about earlier. The reporter did her due diligence, did the research she should have done earlier, and burns Trump. Now, this is where I think she went wrong. She, she lets it know, lets it be known that he lied, and that's it. She doesn't push him on it and say, you just said no, 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 and here's the proof. What's your answer for this? All she did is, is reask the question, presenting the new evidence.
14: Mr. Trump, I'm going to go back to an issue that we were talking about before the H-1B visas. I found where I read that before. It was from the DonaldJaketrump.com website, and it says, it says that again. Mark Zuckerberg's personal senator, Marco Rubio, has a bill to triple H-1Bs that would decimate women and minorities. Are you in favor of H-1Bs? Are you opposed to them?
7: I'm in favor of people coming into this country legally. And you know what? It,
0: what happened there? What a missed opportunity. That should have been a gotcha moment. A ha-ha, I got you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what was behind that, except for maybe that they may have been concerned that they were coming off as being very aggressive toward the candidates, very hostile toward the candidates. They weren't viewed favorably by the audience. Yeah, maybe so. Because this
0: is like an hour and a half in to the debate. So, you know, they could have... People who are off screen reading tweets, looking at Facebook, could have seen that the 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 wave of public opinion was was starkly against them at that point that could be it you you might be right so the next question was also to donald trump and this about guns and goddamn, if donald it's seriously he's it's the ultimate long con punk that he's pulling on america mr trump
3: you said uh you have a special permit to carry a gun in new york Yes. After the Oregon mass shooting on October 1st, you said, by the way, it was a gun-free zone. If you had a couple of teachers with guns, you would have been a hell of a lot better off. Or somebody else. Right. Would you feel more comfortable if your employees brought guns to work? Yes, I might
7: feel more comfortable. (laughs) I would say that I would. And I have a permit, which is very unusual in New York, a permit to carry. And I do carry on occasion. Uh, Sometimes a lot, but I like to be unpredictable so that people don't (laughs) know exactly (laughs) what we're doing. By the way, unlike our country where we're totally predictable and the enemy, whether it's ISIS or anybody else, they know exactly what we're doing because we have the wrong leadership. But I feel that the gun-free zones and you know when you say that, that's target practice for the sickos and for the mentally ill. that's target. They look around for gun-free zones. I mean, we could give you another example. The Marines, the army, the, these wonderful six soldiers that were killed. Two of them were among the most highly decked. They weren't allowed on a military base to have guns, and somebody walked in and shot them, killed them. If they had guns. He wouldn't be around very long. I can tell you there wouldn't have been much damage. So I think gun-free zones are a catastrophe. They're a feeding yep. frenzy for sick
3: people. We we called a few Trump resorts, few Trump properties that that do not allow guns with or without a permit. Would you change those policies? I would change it. Okay. Sure. Okay. I would change it. All right.
0: Thank you.
1: Are you going to be calling after the debate to go ahead and orchestrate those changes or... Yeah. That should have been kind of the next question. Absolutely. When will you be making those changes?
0: This is where these financial people, they drop the ball because someone like Anderson Cooper or Megan Kelly would have asked to follow up.
1: They would have also called him out when he answered. Yeah, I might feel more comfortable with them having guns. Oh, might.
0: Oh, what a definitive answer, Mr. Trump.
1: Right. <laughs> Well, you could tell that he didn't know how to answer. Yeah, He didn't know what the right answer was in terms of how can I answer this and get the most support.
0: Right, and the Republican Party has turned into a fucking high school pep rally where no one really questions or really wants a substantive answer from these candidates. It's a bummer. Well, next up was the one question that I did think was not just in bad taste, but I... I think out of the purview of the moderators, I think this really was a question set up to just be shitty. And here it is.
13: Governor Huckabee, you've written about the huge divide in values between middle America and the big coastal cities like New York and Los Angeles. As a preacher, as well as a politician, you know that presidents need the moral authority to bring the entire country together. The leading Republican candidate, when you look at the average of national polls right now, is Donald Trump. When you look at him, do you see someone with the moral authority to unite the countries?
2: You know, as few questions I've got, the last one I need is to give him some more time. I love Donald Trump, he is a good man. I'm wearing a Trump tie tonight. Get over that one, okay? <laughs> I wonder how Trump's made, balls paid in
5: taste. China or Mexico. I have no
7: Other idea. Mexico, such a nasty, such a nasty question. But thank you, Governor. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> Let me tell you, Donald Trump would be a better president every day of the week and twice on Sunday rather than Hillary. I've spent a lifetime in politics. The Clinton machine. You want to talk about what we're going to be up against next year? I'm the only guy on this stage, you know everybody has an only guy, I'm the only guy this, I'm the only guy that. Let me tell you one thing, that I am the only guy. The only guy that has consistently fought the Clinton machine every election I was ever in over the past 26 years. And not only did I fight them, but I beat them. Somebody says I'm a fighter, well I want to know did you win? Well I did. And not only did I fight them and win. I live to tell about it, and I'm standing on this stage tonight as evidence of that, and I think that ought to be worth something. Thank you, Governor.
1: So something that's bothering me, I just looked at Donald Trump's Twitter, and he's already thanking various polls, saying that he's won. Oh, come on. It's like two hours since the debate ended, dude. Will you relax? Well,
0: he's probably talking about these stupid online click polls, like the Democrat audience was so pissed off that bernie sanders got ripped off Mm -hmm. click polls don't count they're not scientific you could have your whole family go and click 20 times each it's it's not accurate
1: your dog can accidentally vote (laughs) on your freaking ipad or something like (laughs) you know
0: yeah right well next up is john Kasich talking about the student loan crisis when asked.
14: Thank you. I want to turn my attention now to you, Governor Kasich. Most people can't get a college degree without going into debt. Over 40 million Americans have student loans, and many of them cannot pay them back. This country has over $100 billion in student loan defaults. That's billion with a B. What will you do to make sure that students, their families, taxpayers, won't feel the economic impact of this burden for generations?
4: Well, first of all, in Ohio, we're changing the whole system universities will not get paid one dime unless a student graduates or graduates or completes a course secondly you can be in high school and complete almost an entire first year before you go to college and get credit to do that and of course in addition to that we are working now to go after the cost drivers in our universities and let me give you an example universities today have so many non-academic assets at ohio state they sold the parking garage and the parking lot and they got five hundred million dollars because they shouldn't be in the parking lot business they shouldn't be in the dining business they shouldn't be in the dorm business and of course we need to take advantage of online education to reduce these costs and begin to disintermediate the cost of, of four years now for those that have these these big high costs i think we can seriously look and an idea of where you can do public service, I mean legitimate public service, and begin to pay off some of that debt through the public service that you do, and in the meantime, it may inspire us to care more about our country, more about ourselves. This is a big moral issue in America, living a life bigger than yourself and being a Thank center you. of healing and justice, and people can learn it through public
0: service. I think that's a good answer. Really, I, I was impressed by that. You know, the question of $100 billion in student loan defaults.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a big number. It is. That's
0: a tenth of a trillion dollars in student loan defaults. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Something does need to be done. And I don't know. I, I think he artfully answered the question.
1: He's, he's one of the few people... That answers questions in a way that doesn't make you enraged. (laughs)
0: Right. Well, up next is another one of those questions that ah, just, what the fuck? And it was asked and answered. And then Chris Christie got in the mix. And he had about five minutes of glory toward the end of the debate that were that were real good i'm not saying he 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 won or anything but he uh he came out on top of this and the first question is to jeb bush about daily fantasy sports sites governor bush
3: daily fantasy sports has become <laughs> a phenomenon in this country we will award billions of dollars in prize money this year but to play you have to assess your odds put money at risk wait for an outcome that's out of your control isn't that the definition of gambling and should the federal government treat it as such?
5: Well, first of all, um, I'm seven and zero in my fantasy football league. <laughs> I had a feeling you were gonna brag about Ronkowski that. Gronkowski is still going strong. I have Ryan Tannehill, Marco, as my quarterback. He was 18 for 19 last week. No one cares. So I'm doing great, but we're not gambling. <laughs> and i think this has become something that needs to be looked at in terms of regulation effectively it's day trading without any regulation at all and when you have insider information which apparently has been the case where people use that information use big data to try to take advantage of it uh... there has to be some regulation if they can't regulate themselves then the nfl needs to look at this, you know moving away from them a little bit and there there should be some regulation I, I have no clue whether the federal government's the proper place my instinct is to say hell no just about everything about the federal government
0: so that's the way he answered Chris Christie jumped in here and maybe this is the way Jeb should have answered
5: everything about the federal government
6: can, I interject are we talking so here are we talking about getting we the have a government, government involved in fantasy football
11: (laughs) we have wait a second we have 19 trillion dollars in debt we have people out of work we have isis and al-qaeda attacking us and we're talking about fantasy football get the government to do what they're supposed to be doing secure our borders protect our people and support american values and american families enough on fantasy football let people play
0: who cares (laughs) i tend to agree with him so his his winning streak continued for one more question and it was about global warming and he answered in a true the old-fashioned Chris Christie kind of way and then got his shot in at the end about the moderator
13: Senator sure. Christie you've said something that many in your party do not believe which is that climate change is undeniable that human activity contributes to it and you said quote
11: the question is what do we do to deal with it so what do we do well, first off, what we don't do is do what Hillary Clinton and John Kerry and Barack Obama want us to do, which is their solution for everything. Put more taxes on it, give more money to Washington, D.C., and then they'll fix it. Well, there's no evidence that they can fix anything in Washington, D.C. What C. should we do? What we should do is to be investing in all types of energy, John. All types of energy. And I've laid out... Being government? No, John. John, do you want me to answer? You want to answer. How we going to I got to tell you the truth. Even in New Jersey, what you're doing is called rude. So, uh,
0: <laughs> it's good, right?
1: It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that is the Chris Christie that we used to see, and he's been gone. He's been off the map a little bit. Absent. We just hear from him now when he disturbs a quiet car um, <laughs> on a train.
0: Yeah, I I don't know, but those were his only two shining moments of the entire debate. It was it's kind of depressing to see a guy that I kind of looked up to at one point as a politician who really was kind of a you know, straight shooter. Maybe kind of a dick sometimes, but yeah, you know, you never knew what to expect. And a guy who has done some good things. Well, our final clip before the closing statements is Rand Paul And it's a bummer that Rand Paul is absolutely on his way out because I think he gave a great answer on the situation of Medicare and Social Security and its continued viability without intervention and fixing of some sort.
14: Senator Among the leading conservative opponents to the creation of Medicare back in the 1960s was Ronald Reagan. He warned that it would lead to socialism. Considering the mounting costs of Medicare, was he right to oppose it?
12: The question always is, uh, what works better, the private marketplace or government? And what distributes goods better? It always seems to be the private marketplace does a better job. Is there an area for a safety net? Can you have Medicare or Social Security? Yeah, but you ought to acknowledge the government doesn't do a very good job at it. The main problem with Medicare right now is that the average person pays in taxes over their whole lifetime about 100000 but the average person takes out about 350,000. We have this enormous mismatch because we have smaller and smaller families. When people ask me, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it that Medicare's broken out of money, that Social Security's broken out of money? And I say, look, it's not Republicans' fault. It's not Democrats' fault. It's your grandparents' fault for having too many damn kids. <laughs> After the war, we had all these kids, baby boomers. Now we're having smaller families. We used to have 16 workers for one retiree. Now you have three workers for one retiree. It's not working. I have a bill to fix Medicare. I have a bill to fix Social Security. Senator. For both of them, you have to gradually raise the age. If you're not willing to do that, nobody wants to do it. But if you're not willing to gradually raise the age, you're not serious about fixing either one of them. Senator, Becky. thank you.
0: You know, it's too bad he's not more of a personality. I mean, i he's kind of a, dip, uh, a dipshit in so many ways and maybe it's it's his adherence to christianity and talking about god all the goddamn time but it he does have some good ideas maybe a little bit too libertarian sometimes and maybe sometimes not enough but it's going to be sad to see him go you see the little tear right here Brittany page
1: i do see it (laughs) it's not little it is quite large
0: crocodile tear So we are going to wrap it up. We're going to play the closing statements from each of the candidates. Then I'll come back on and send you on your merry way to continue educated after this analysis episode of the CNBC GOP third debate. Here we go.
13: We have now reached the point of the program where candidates are going to give their uh, closing statements. 30 seconds apiece. We're going to go right to
12: left and start with you, Senator Paul. Liberty thrives when government is small. I want a government so small I can barely see it. I want a government so small that the individual has a chance to thrive and prosper. I think, though, government's too big now. What you're gonna see in Washington this week is establishment Republicans have made an agreement with the president to raise the debt ceiling in an unlimited fashion. No limit to the debt ceiling raise. This is extraordinary. It's extraordinarily wrong. You'll see me on the floor of the Senate tomorrow filibustering this and saying, enough's enough, no more debt. Governor Christie.
11: I wanna talk to the folks at home. I wanna ask you,
12: are you fed up
11: with how Washington taxes you? Are you fed up with how Washington wastes your money? Are you concerned like I am that the debt and deficits of Washington DC are endangering America's future? I got one more question for you then. Are you serious about this election? Because if you are, you need to elect someone who's deadly serious about changing this culture. I am deadly serious about changing this culture. I changed it in New Jersey. I'm deadly serious about doing this job the right way. I'm prepared, I'm tested, I'm ready, and I want to make this our government. For the people who say we can't do it, I say, hell no, we can do it together.
10: Thank you, Governor. Senator Cruz. You know, everyone here talks about the need to take on Washington. The natural next question is who actually has done so? Who actually has stood up not just to Democrats, but to leaders in our own party? When millions of Americans rose up against Obamacare, I was proud to lead that fight. When millions of Americans rose up against amnesty, I was proud to lead that fight. When millions of Americans rose up against Planned Parenthood, I was proud to lead that fight. If people are promising they're going to take on Washington and cronyism, you need to look to who has been doing it. In my family, my dad fled oppression in Cuba to come to America. Freedom is personal for me, and I will always keep my word and fight
13: for freedom. Thank you, Senator. Ms. Fe-
9: you know, every election, we hear a lot of talk, we hear a lot of good plans, we hear actually a lot of good intentions, but somehow, for decades, nothing really has changed. What we need now is a proven leader who has produced results. That's how you go from secretary to CEO. You lead and you produce results. I will cut this government down to size and hold it accountable, simplify the tax code, roll back the regulations that have been spewing out of Washington, D.C. for 50 years. I may not be your dream candidate just yet, but I can assure you I'm Hillary Clinton's worst nightmare. And in your heart of hearts, you cannot wait to see a debate between Hillary Clinton and Carly Fiorina. I will tell you this I will be Hillary Clinton. And with your votes, and your support, and your prayers, I will lead with the citizens of this great nation, the
13: resurgence of this great nation. Thank you, Mrs. Fiorina. Dr. Carson.
8: I just want to thank all my colleagues here for uh, being civil, not falling for the traps. And uh, I just also want to thank the audience for being attentive and noticing the questions and noticing the answers. And this is what I'm finding throughout America. People are waking up because it is going to be us who will determine the direction of our country. And uh, it was made for we the people. We are the ones who decide who we are. And we should never give away the values and principles that made America into a great nation for the sake of political correctness. Mr. Trump, our country doesn't win
7: anymore. We used to win. We don't win anymore. We lose on trade. We lose with ISIS. We lose with one of the worst deals I've ever seen negotiated of any kind. That's our recent catastrophe with Iran. We don't win. Let me give you one quick example. These folks, CNBC, they had it down at three, three and a half hours. I just read today in the New York Times, $250,000 for a 30-second ad. I went out and said, it's ridiculous, nobody, I could stand up here all night, nobody wants to watch three and a half or three hours, it was a big sacrifice, and I have to hand it to Ben. We called Ben, he was with me 100%, we called in, we said, that's it, we're not doing it. They lost a lot of money, everybody said it couldn't be done, everybody said it was going to be three hours, three and a half, including them, and at about two minutes, I renegotiated it, down to two hours so we can get the hell out of here, Not not bad. And I'll do that with the country. We will, make, we will make America great again. And thank you, everybody. Just for the record,
13: just for the record, the debate was always going to be two hours.
6: Senator Rubio, that's not right. That Senator is Rubio. absolutely not right. You know that that is not right. Senator Rubio. Thank you. Yeah. You know, America doesn't owe me anything. I have a debt to America I'll never repay. This isn't just the country I was born in. This is the nation that literally changed the history of my family. My parents in this country were able to give me the chance to do all the things they never did. We call that the American dream, although it's built on the universal dream of a better life. The fact that it's happened for so many people here throughout our history, that's what makes us special. But now for millions of Americans, it's slipping away. And we have a government and leaders in government that are completely out of touch. And that's why I'm running for president. Because we can't just save the American dream, we can expand it to reach more people and change more lives than ever before. And that's why tonight I'm asking you for your vote. Thank you, Senator. Governor Bush.
5: America's at a crossroads. The D.C. politicians continue to make things worse. I have a proven record of success, 32 years in business and eight years as governor of the state of Florida. I will change the culture in Washington just as I changed the culture in Tallahassee. And I will do so in a way that will bring people together. We need a unifier, not a cynical divider in chief, and that's exactly what I will do. Imagine a country where people are lifted out of poverty again. Imagine a country where the middle class can get rising income again. I know we can do this because we're still the most extraordinary country on the face of the earth.
2: Thank you.
13: Thank you, Governor. Governor Huckabee.
2: You know, I know too a lot of people in the media, this is just a great big game, and we're the players, and we come out here and we do our thing and sometimes we're held up in contempt by people who write columns but i guarantee to every person on this stage there's something deep inside of us that would cause us to give up our livelihoods and step out on this stage and fight for the people of america i've got five grandkids i do not want to walk my five grandkids through the charred remains of a once great country called america and say here you go twenty trillion dollars of debt Good luck making something out of this mess. And for those of us who are serious enough to run for president, think long and hard why we're here. And hopefully you'll know we're not here for ourselves. We, honest to God, are here to get this country back on track. I know this. I certainly am.
13: Thank you, Thank Governor.
2: Thank you. Governor Casey. I
4: was on Morning Joe to town hall, and a young student stood up and said, Can I still be idealistic? I said, absolutely, you can still change the world. And you know the old inscription, if you save one life, you've changed the world. Folks, we have a problem here with the leadership in Washington, but I'll tell you another problem. We need to rebuild our families. We need to have stronger families. We need to know who our neighbors are. We need to come together as a country because we have to realize that America is great, not from the top down. Oh yeah, we want to elect a good president, but America is great from the bottom up. And the bottom up is us in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We will renew America if we work together. And I am totally confident that we will. And God bless America.
13: Thank you, Governor.
0: All right. Well, that is it. I, uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. For me, it's an amazing thing to be a part of this process at all, to be able to broadcast analysis of debates is taking part in the electoral process as far as i'm concerned. I love each and every one of you. We appreciate your the time you spend with us. If you appreciate the bonus episodes, if you appreciate us and the mantra of moving the conversation forward, i would i would ask that if you're in a position to do so to think about partnering with us on Patreon. And helping the show out financially, even a little bit, goes a very, very long way. Until next time, and there is going to be a next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been, I Doubt It.
1: Well, you're you're grown-ass men.